let's build off what we talked about last week with our three forms of progression between intensity, which could come in the form of adding weight or adding some sort of velocity. We can go volume, which would be traditionally adding repetitions reserved for usually more body weight oriented exercises. And then we could do a very small amount of sets. And then the final one would be looking at it from the context of density. So you have two strategy there, which would be more escalating or a compression. So what I want to go through with practical is when, why, where, and what to use these progressions. So for context, something to really consider will be accumulation blocks versus intensification blocks, or even on the other end of logistics of you have a bunch of really young people and they've never trained before and you got to do something you can have immediate success with, or even potentially remote-based training. Where there's a lot of variables that you need to consider when choosing your progression. The other one is the just the overall complicatedness of a protocol, right? So the more complicated a protocol is, the more simple the other variables need to be. All these things need to be really considered in terms of in terms of the progressions you're going to use. The other variable to consider would be what we talk about with terms of single, double, and triple progressions, brought up by Anthony Dottillo in several of his books, and why, when, and where to use those, relatively speaking, to the goal. So let's break this down. In terms of in terms of more volume-oriented training blocks, like an accumulation block. I'm of the opinion that more repetition or volume-based progressions makes more sense. And the reason behind that is because the systemic load is really high for the entirety of that mesocycle or a training block. And that's something really important to consider. Because how long someone can sustain a certain metabolic stress through tension, through accumulating of waste products, through everything, determines how much we can progress from one week to the next. And think about it. Think about some of these more muscular endurance training blocks that we can utilize, right? So a giant set protocol where we're gonna do five to six exercises of 10 reps accumulated over the course of four weeks, trying to add more intensity each week is really challenging. Maybe alternatively, look at a like higher rep cluster set where you're gonna work up to five plus five plus five, or a, a higher rep wave loading strategy like a 12, 10, eight, 12, 10, eight, or potentially even like a six, 12, 24, or maybe a metabolic circuit where you're gonna go three sets of 10 and every 80 seconds, you're gonna start another set for 10 exercises. Or maybe you're gonna do a, a German volume training protocol with an A1, A2, so 200 reps in roughly 20 minutes, or an escalating density protocol where you're gonna do as many sets of two exercises for rep schemes of anywhere from five to 10 reps for 20, maybe even 30 minutes. And you start to break it down it is incredibly daunting to think about doing that for four weeks, right? Because you are absolutely smoked after week one. And this is the common thread, right? It's usually following an intensification block. So if you utilize an undulating periodization where you alternate between volume and intensity, you'll see a huge metabolic reaction, meaning that people have a lot of really high RPEs. If you track it through via heart rate, really high workloads through heart rate, so average heart rate throughout the entirety of the session. 
You'll see diminished heart rate recovery, meaning it takes longer to recover between sets. You'll see more things like DOMS or delayed onset muscle soreness. You'll see poor wellness the following day on metrics such as soreness and potentially even um, overall like stress. Typically mood is more associated with intensification block and we'll go through that here in a second. Sleep quality is gonna be more associated with intensification blocks. So the game really is figuring out what is the cause and effect relationship of stress through volume and how can I adjust my progression based off of that? And just think about it yourself. Do you really wanna to try to add weight for three to four weeks on the context that you're absolutely smoked from week one? How much are you really gonna to try to get out of potentially loading up someone for four weeks? Now that goes into the next thing of mesocycle length dictates really big part of what kind of progression you use and how long can you hold that progression. So the sweet spot is gonna be roughly four weeks for everyone, right? That is the regression to the mean, the median, the part where most people are gonna be just fine. So if you're gonna tell me about a like a mesocycle length, four weeks is probably the sweet spot. Now, advanced athletes can do really well with two week training training blocks. Novice athletes can do really well with eight week training blocks. But it goes into this, can you do a really high amount of volume with intensity based progressions from one week to the next for four to eight weeks? Honestly, no, you really can't. Because this is when it hits that that critical juncture or that fork in the road off of majority of the folks are really going to struggle with recovering in time to get enough from those training programs. Or they're just going to be psychologically burnt out. And this is why you got to utilize other strategies. Volume-based approaches, honestly, even in the form of sets and setting the mark so low over the course of the beginning to the end. So at the end, you hit that threshold of total volume, whether it comes through adding reps or adding sets as the primary means to do that. And this is the really important thing to consider. It's what is it going to look like the last week of the training block or that mesocycle? What do you want from the mesocycle? What's the goal of it? What's the point of hitting a certain time under tension at a certain intensity with certain exercises, relatively speaking to the larger goal? And this is where block periodization really comes in. And this one's like approach is like, it makes you think about the layering effect. What is the residual I get from this training stimulus, relatively speaking to another, relatively speaking to the larger goal? That's why I'm such an advocate of block periodization. It forces you to think from a macro perspective. It forces you to think about really what is the point of training and it detaches from these like arbitrary bias agenda based training programs that oh we got to be good at this exercise or all we do is this protocol who cares who cares if it's not translating if who cares if it's not corresponding to performance and as i start to look through one progression versus the next and i'm detaching from Man, I'm a five by five guy, or I'm a back squat, bench press, and deadlift guy, or whatever else out there that we kind of classify ourselves as. I'm a performance guy. I'm an outcome guy. I'm an output guy. That's where I really hang my hat on. And block periodization 
just lends itself more readily to that. But within that comes a little bit more of a, a craftsmanship. You know, the, the, the joke for me with, with a lot of my staff is AI can't do what I'm doing because they don't have the brain power that I do. And that might come off as conceited or arrogant. The truth is they don't really know what actually to get into it. The, the science of it would say four-week training block and intensity-based progressions off of everybody else you're doing. The art would say it works until it doesn't. And I've learned the hard way and I've learned through trial and error and looking at actually high-level analytics that this is probably not necessarily something that's a very simple fit. Intuition. And then you got to judge it by sample size. Right? If you have a larger group, your level of impact is lessened. If you have a smaller group, your level of impact is increased, but it goes into more psychological aspect. Having a really high volume based approach for a group versus a one-on-one is extremely different from one week to the next. And what I mean by that is when I'm looking at, I'm motivating this person individually, one-on-one session to strive for better body comp, increasing muscle mass, and we're taking these higher volume, more stress-based approach, uh, metabolic stress-based approach, and we're saying, hey, I know you got throttled last week, but you gotta keep pushing. You're training at a deficit if you're trying to lose weight from a caloric intake standpoint, and you're gonna be tired, and you're gonna be gassed. My job is to push you. You're training in a surplus, but you're also really lethargic, and you're also really tired and sore. I gotta push you. That's coaching, right? But the other end, it's in a group, you have the impact of others. You have social dynamics you're managing. Sometimes people push greater than their capacity. It might be a good thing, but also might be a bad thing where you see people start to manipulate their technique and their standard of execution, their rep integrity, their set integrity. And these are all things you're managing simultaneously and all things you need to account for. But when we're generally looking at volume-based, volume-based training stress, so more metabolic stress, more hypertrophy or this, 40 to 70 seconds or 70 seconds plus per set of time on attention. I'm of the opinion that volume-based progressions, whether it comes in the form of reps, which is predominantly where you're focusing on, or in the form of sets is where you're also focusing on increasing, should take precedent. My opinion. Because I've seen this play out multiple times and I have data to support this. When we do volume-based approaches for too long, People's wellness goes down, RPEs go up, and then honestly, frequency gets altered negatively because people can't continuously sustain that. And the only plan is to come not come in at all. Because when you put such a priority on progression, if people feel like they can't progress, they'll stop coming. And that's where you have to meet them in the middle and focus on increasing something without compromising frequency. Because frequency for everybody in the world is going to be the most important variable to consider. Alternatively, when we look at intensification or stress to intensity, so keeping it under 20 seconds for relative strength or under 40 seconds for functional hypertrophy, intensity-based progressions would be really, really beneficial. When we look at increasing weight for protocols like wave loading or lower rep clusters or a potentiating strategy like a complex or looking at other variables like a maybe paler descending or ascending or um, very simple like you know inertial stuff or accommodating resistance having a strategy of increasing intensity from one week to the next makes sense 
it's congruent with the point of the actual training program. So it makes more sense, it's more intuitive to simply say, I'm gonna increase intensity for intensification blocks, relatively speaking, to volume, right? So if I'm trying to include a volume-based approach within an intensification block, you're probably gonna have some folks struggle from the tonnage because you're playing with a lot more actual weight, which is going to come out a lot more in the double, single, double, and triple progression strategies. Now, on the note of looking at repetition-based stuff, there is moments of the year, the calendar year, where progressions from one week to the next become different from a psychological standpoint, traditionally in-season athletes. And I found great success with repetition-based progressions in season with a lower rep scheme to facilitate this psychological aspect of it's a weight you feel really comfortable with all i'm asking you to do is hit it one more rep than you did the previous week that's it give me one good set last week you hit this for two now i'm all going to do is ask you to hit this for three and as i start to think about that that goes back into that science is really matched with the art Psychology and physiology are always having this interplay. The last thing I need to consider is density-based strategies. And densities are on the other end of volume from metabolic stress. Compression or escalating is still gonna have a very big systemic impact. And this is where I really think about, you really need to be very, very specific with your training block length on these density-based strategies you'll see methodologies that do a lot of density-based strategies do this more ad hoc or randomized pulling stuff out your, you know what, strategies because there's no way you can progress this over a longer period of time. It's extremely auto-regulatory, meaning that if you don't have the CNS or the cardiovascular or the fitness readiness, you're probably not going to do very well. And that's the strategy you really need to think about as you're progressing from one day to the next, from one thing to the next. So when you're thinking about a strategy to choose for density, or thinking about a mesocycle length that's shorter and you want to use a muscular endurance block, density-based strategies, whether it's escalating or, or compression, simply just makes a lot more sense in that scenario. I'm not saying it's a have to, but if you're going to use a density-based strategy, you really need to think about these are... These are for a one-off or like a one-week actual mesocycle. And I mean that when I say that. It is a possibility. Or on the other end, potentially something like a short two-week meso. Because you'll see after about two weeks, people start getting wise and they start breaking down. And they really can't sustain it that much longer. The next big thing I want to talk about is the rates of progression. So there's a single, which is your time-tested proven. So if you look at the graph in the actual module you'll see that we have about 85% of the time we're doing single progressions. So normal, traditional training with everyone throughout the calendar year is just trying to progress either intensity, volume, or, or density from one week to the next. That's your bread and butter, and if that's all you do, you're going to be completely fine. Quite frankly, it's probably an argument that's all you should do. Now, from time to time, there'll be situations where you have advanced athletes that have compressed schedules and need to reach a high level of fitness in a rapid manner, that's when you start thinking about double and triple progressions. And you start thinking about, okay, if I had to progress this person from one week to the next, knowing they just need to get a quick acclimation, 
right? So that's the beautiful thing about working with the advanced athletes. They have a better understanding of what, how to do the exercise as well as what a heavy load would be, right? What is a threshold weight versus a novice? It's basically just throwing darts at a blank wall. You have no idea and you're hoping it gets on a bullseye somewhere, right? So as I start to triangulate like single versus double progressions, I'm thinking I need to have an advanced athlete who has a very higher level of awareness of what is heavy and how to do the exercise, right? So if I'm simultaneously trying to predict a load as well as train or develop an act, uh, a moment of motor pattern, single progression is the only strategy you'll ever need. Now, if I get to a point where I have an advanced athlete and a compressed, compressed schedule, like an off-season NFL athlete coming to me in the summer, that's when I start to think about double progressions and it goes off the connotation that I need shorter mesos, right? So a NFL athlete comes to me in June, they need to get ready for July preseason camp, so I got six weeks. I will utilize maybe potentially a 2-2-2 two, two, two mesocycle length. Maybe I'll do a 1-2-2-1, two, two, meaning that I'm going to do an introductory period with no progression from one week to the next, a intensification, a modified accumulation, and then finishing off with a quote-unquote peaking intensification. Uh, I might utilize a three and three. The point being it's I'm going to really get creative with meso length. I'm going to get really creative with progressions. That's when I'll start to think about, all right, I'm going to use a double or triple here. And a thing to think about is microcycle length isn't locked into seven days. It could easily be four days. And this is where you can get creative with manipulating micro and meso, relatively speaking, to the season or the fate of the overall like phase you're in to get the most output. So maybe you mess around with the micro length and you start to look at it. Instead of doing a seven day, Monday through Friday, I'm gonna do a four day and it might look like a form of a speed upper lower rest. It might look at like a upper lower rest strongman. You figure that out. But in the same token too, I might do a eight day mezzo and use a triple progression in that situation. Maybe you look at it from, I'm gonna do doubles in AM PM in a four day micro cycle in order to get as much systemic load in that period. So AM neurological, PM, more metabolic or more of that like muscular system focus. And then I start to think about a double or triple progression within that mezzo. So I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do two micros of four days. Uh, let's just go to that upper lower rest strongman, and then I'm gonna do AM of upper on day one. And I might look at potentially doing like a wave loading. Come back on PM, and I might do a a pre fatigue or post fatigue protocol. Do the same, essentially premise on lower body the following day get a rest day or an active day where I do some cardiovascular work or a low day as we look at it with um, very simple stuff like rudiment, light med ball, rhythmic work, extensive plyos, and then some tempo work, depending if you're a skill guy or a big guy. And then I come back the next day and I do some strongman or some maybe direct speed or open drills like where I'm going to be reactionary 
and then I come back and do that microcycle again. And the thing that you got to look at is I want to get as much out of that protocol as I possibly can, but they might not have never done that protocol, right? So if they're doing wave loading for the first time in their life, and I say I had an eight week, eight day period to get this guy trained up, ready to go for preseason. All right, man, we're gonna go, you know, six four two, six four two, and then I'm gonna go. Let me say that again. I'll go six four two, six four two, at. 70, 75, 80, 75, 80, 85. And then the following week, I'll not only progress in terms of intensity, I'll go 642, 642 at that same intensity bracket that I did the previous week, plus two and a half percent, but I add another 642. So now I've increased volume, reps, and intensity Simultaneously, I'll do the same thing in the pre-fatigue in the afternoon, where I might do four sets of four sets of twelve on a exercise like a pec fly, and then do four sets of eight with a four hundred one zero tempo on neutral grip bench at let's just say seventy percent. The following week. And this is where that volume-based approach of adding time under tension comes into play. So I'll keep the four sets of 12, four sets of eight, and then instead of doing a 4.010 tempo, I'm gonna add in a time under tension of going maybe to a 5.010 tempo or, or maybe a 6.010 tempo. And maybe I even go increase the volume through rep, through uh, time under tension and the pre-fatigue. So instead of doing like a traditional 2.010 tempo, Maybe I do a 3.010 tempo and I increase overall time under tension and I increase the intensity as well on both exercises. And then you can even look at it from, hey, maybe I'm doing this really, really uh, challenging hypertrophy workout from a pre-fatigue standpoint. And then I increase the intensity and I try to do it in a shorter period of time. I decrease the rest period by 15 seconds from A2 back to A1. Or maybe I'm doing a full-on circuit and I want to decrease the rest period from one week to the next. Or maybe I do that on my strongman, right? So I'm going to do a five-exercise superset or um, circuit where I'm going to do backward sled drags, heavy carries, uh, maybe a maybe a atlas stone pickup or a heavy D-ball med ball pickup, and then uh, some sort of rope pull, and then wherever you want to do on the fourth one, like a yoke carry, right? So five things supersetted. We're going to do 30 yards, um, potentially another 30 yards, and then another uh, length of the sled, and then figure out the rest. And I can increase the volume by increasing the yardage. I can increase the intensity by increasing the weight. I can increase the density by decreasing the time between either exercise or sets. And then I take that triple progression and I go, okay, boom, we got eight days of really hard and I've got that person more physiologically ready in that short period. And that would be what they call a super compensation block where I have to get a ton done in a very short period of time to create as much systemic stress as humanly possible to get them as prepared as much as possible for what they're about to go into. I might prepare them a little bit more so than maybe potentially doing a traditional single progression and just hoping that it's enough. These are very rare, rare situations that you think about. And what I message to you is, 
your wheelhouse here is staying right in that single progression, but thinking always in the back of your mind, I have the ace in the hole for double progressions if I have advanced athletes with time compressed phases or seasons that I need to adjust the meso length. And then I have even further ace in the hole for per triple progression that I really want to use that for what we call a super compensation phase where you have a seven to 10 day all out, get after it, no other option but to really crank and get that person as dialed in as possible. So big take home. We're looking at this from the context of overall volume-based approaches like hypertrophy or muscular endurance are probably going to do better with volume-based progressions. Intensity-based progressions are going to be really reserved for intensity-based approaches like relative strength or functional hypertrophy. Density-based strategies are reserved for shorter mesos. And then single progressions most of the time but if you need to get a double or triple progression, it's reserved for really short microcycles and very short mesos. Um, or I should say very short mesos with very, very conditionally dependent seasons that you need to really get creative. Hope this is helpful, guys. Um, we're gonna go through some programming stuff on the case study to kind of go a little bit deeper into this. But I just wanna kind of give you guys a broad strokes of this as well as I've written extensively about this within uh, not only um, not only the, uh, the the books I've written, but several conversations. So watch next week with uh, my presentation I did with Pen and Paper Strength Up. I think that'll help a ton. All right, guys. Appreciate you guys. We'll see you next time.